Crypto, Bitcoin, NFTs, Dogecoin. What exactly is this cryptocurrency I keep hearing about? Every time I turn on the TV, Tom Brady is telling me about trading crypto. My friend John on the rec soccer team quit his job to trade crypto, making a killing at it. But this is all legal, right? To be frank, I have no idea how it works. Doesn't it have something to do with computers or algorithms? How much is it worth? You earn virtual money to put in virtual wallets to buy real items? What do I use it for? Can I tithe my crypto? Pay tuition for my kids' schooling with Bitcoin? Is it ethical? Is it moral? What should Catholics think about crypto? Today on Detroit Stories, we tackle all our crypto questions with three Catholics in the field. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This podcast is brought to you by Ave Maria Mutual Funds. Visit them at AveMariaFunds.com to learn more about responsible Catholic investing. During the Super Bowl, a mysterious QR code appeared on the screen bouncing around. Millions of dollars of prime TV ad placement for a graphic enticing people to scan it. What could it be? What was it about? Quick, get your phone out. We need to know what this ad is all about. It took millions of viewers to Coinbase, a cryptocurrency company where people can buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrency. It's actually the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the United States, and the ad was offering $15 worth of Bitcoin for signing up. The marketing gimmick was so popular it crashed the website. Perhaps a foreboding warning for those interested in investing in crypto. But what exactly is cryptocurrency? Where does it come from? What's the appeal? Cryptocurrency started with um, what is mo- what's the most popular um, type of cryptocurrency right now, which is called Bitcoin. And that was um, back in 2009. And it was invented by uh, an anonymous person or a group of people who used the name Satoshi Nakamoto. This is Tiffany Welka, an Our Lady of Good Counsel and Plymouth parishioner, financial advisor, and founder of the podcast Welka Wealth, which delves into faith-based investing with the motto, invest with intent. What a cryptocurrency is, is a digital asset, and it serves as a reward for a process that's known as mining. And it can be exchanged for other currencies, products, or services. But what exactly is a digital asset? What is a Bitcoin and how does one obtain one? Dr. Daniel Spogan is an assistant professor of finance at the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. With an expertise in technical analysis and algorithmic trading, he knows a thing or two about what makes cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin both possible and profitable. There are cryptocurrency exchanges that are built on the blockchain. They're sort of... uh more user-friendly way of interacting with the blockchain. The, the, the underlying blockchain is, can be very difficult to use. Um, and generally, anybody who's buying Bitcoin now is a sort of real-tail investor is buying through an exchange. And so there are things like uh, Robinhood, Weeple, uh, and, and, and uh, other, um, other sort of traditional financial intermediaries that allow retail investors to buy a stock or a proportion of a stock at a time that will now also allow those investors to buy 
uh, Bitcoin or a proportion of a Bitcoin. Okay, so Bitcoin is obtained using blockchain. But what's blockchain? Blockchain is the technology that enables cryptocurrencies to exist, right? Like Bitcoin. So it's like, uh, you know, um, you have uh, an engine in your car. Honda, Honda makes, I'm a big car guy, so Honda makes uh, engines that goes in cars, they go in boats, they go in planes, they go in motorcycles, right? Uh, so one engine can serve multiple, you know, can produce multiple products. The same with blockchain. Blockchain is the underlying technology that its its first use case is Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies, but there are many other use cases that have nothing to do with currencies or, or NFTs or anything like that. This is Deacon Richard Napoli a recently retired CEO of a software engineering company that specialized in blockchain technology. He is also a Catholic deacon. Blockchain is a distributive ledger used to keep track of online transactions. Every time a transition is made, it goes into the online ledger, similar to balancing a checkbook, if you remember checkbooks, where one would add deposits and withdrawals and could check the work as they went along. But with blockchain, everyone has access to the ledger. So with the wisdom of the community, everyone can keep track of the transactions. The analogy I use in my class uh, was uh, think of the trees, think of a, like a tree, right? And when you cut it down and you look inside uh, the, the, the trunk, you see all the, all the rings around the tree. Um, that's sort of like a blockchain if you think about it, because what do the, the tree rings tell you? They tell you um, how well the, you know each year went for that tree, right? So when, the, when there's big separation between one ring and another, you know there was lots of water. If there's a little one, you know the, the, the rings were very narrow, you know it was uh, dry season. Um, and uh, if there was a fire, you can see like scarring on the rings. So you get a sense of the history of that tree and the history of the community of trees around it. Uh, so it's, it's a distributed ledger. You can't change the rings. You can't go in and say, I want to make this one thicker or thinner. It's permanent. It's immutable. Um, everyone can see it. It's transparent. Everybody can, can see what the rings are and where they are. Um, and uh, um, was I, I used a couple of things. I, but those are the fundamental characteristics of, 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 of a blockchain. It's immutable. Meaning you can't change it. Uh, it's transparent. Everybody can see it. Okay, so everyone can keep track of everyone. If the entire online community agrees on the blockchain and the additions to blockchains, how exactly do we get value from that? To understand cryptocurrency and how it has value, you have to go back to how money itself started, Welka said. Money originally started with bartering, right? For goods or services for each other. And there was really um, no value per se to each particular thing, right? Because somebody might trade rice for a wagon wheel. It didn't really matter what the value of the wagon wheel was versus the value of the rice. It's just, you know, that person who needed that item just traded something that they had for it. So to solve the problem of each particular service or thing not having a particular value, uh, we developed um, what's called commodity money. And I say this because right now the Securities Exchange Commission believes that cryptocurrency is considered a commodity. What is a commodity? A commodity is a term that's used by a lot of people in a given society. It's, it's things like salt, tea, tobacco, cattle, um, seeds, or orange juice, you know, that's used um, 
that were once used as money before and um trading commodities is is oftentimes difficult and we call them futures now because it's um the value of it is dis- it's disputed so and it's based on um how much of that particular item uh is available and it also is based on supply and demand bartering and trading items goes back to the earliest civilizations here in michigan french explorers traded hatchets and weapons with the native americans for beaver pelts and fish items being traded for items but what happens when people don't want to lug around physical items in order to buy something isn't there an easier way to carry around value there is. It's called fiat money. Fiat money, which is what we have now. Fiat is the Latin word for let it be done, um, as a lot of Catholics probably know. Mary's fiat. But fiat money is, is now given its value by the government fiat or the government decree, which is ushering in, in a new era of money, which uh, has legal tender, meaning that by law, the the refusal of legal tender money in favor of another form of payment is actually illegal. The dollar bill in my wallet is a Federal Reserve note. Backed by the U.S. federal government with a notation, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. But how does this relate to crypto? Where does this jump occur? How is it that these lines of code on a computer translate to an exchange where one's Bitcoin becomes U.S. dollars? Even if I and someone else agree to transfer dollars for crypto, what exactly am I getting when I acquire crypto? Back to the original question. Is any of this real? I tell my clients that money does evolve over time. And at this moment in our society, digital currency is a big player because now we have things like Zelle or Venmo where we're sending money Um, to each other electronically and not actually seeing it. You know, paychecks are getting auto-deposited. We have credit cards where we don't actually physically see the money, but it's there. And so I think people are coming to understand it over time, just as we did with all evolution of money. Cryptocurrency is made possible by a development of blockchain a distributive ledger where all transactions involved cryptocurrency in a decentralized manner. Blockchain is used in a variety of different manners, tracking automobile parts used on repairs, medical records of patients, the source of raw materials used to make products to make sure they are mined from the earth in an ethical manner. Napoli says the overall uses of blockchain go way beyond cryptocurrency. I think it was in 2008, 2009, um, uh, 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 somebody uh, under a pseudonym published a paper on this concept of of uh, cryptographically secure uh, distributed ledgers, <clears throat> and he published that. And then within like a year of that, he created the Bitcoin uh, blockchain. Uh, he was the very first owner. He he, he mined the first coins and um, and then made it public. And then, so I would say, you know, for the first few years, it was pretty sketchy and, uh, you know, not well understood and, uh, you know, used by the underworld a little bit to, uh, you know, move money around and so on. Um, but around 2014, 15, it really started, uh, you know, coming into legitimacy. Um, 
Hang on a second here. Uh, I'm in the process of buying a house. <laughs> we aren't making that up. Deacon Napoli really was bidding for a house in the highly competitive D.C. housing market right in the middle of our interview. So if a person can use the internet to buy a house they have never visited, then a jump to a digital-only currency isn't that much of a stretch. So we've talked about what cryptocurrency is, how you acquire it, and what it's used for. But what are the moral implications, if there are any? So in some ways, it is just a natural evolution. You're right. If you think of it, you know, we, you know, most of our money is digital. We never see it, right? And we, we earn it digitally, we deposit it digitally, we spend it digitally. So uh, in that sense, you know, Bitcoin is, I mean, we're already in the digital currency age uh, with the dollar. Uh, but there's a couple of fundamental differences. Uh, and this is where, uh, you, know, we, you know, some of the Catholic issues or you know, discussion could start is, it, you know, Bitcoin is not regulated. It is not centrally monitored, right? There is no owner of Bitcoin. There's no uh, federal, there's no uh, national government that's backing this currency, right? And therefore, you see its volatility going you know, up and down, up and down. The highest, you know, eighty thousand dollars a coin. Uh, is, you know, lately it's been down as low as like thirty-two thousand a coin. That unregulated independence from government oversight is why so many are drawn to cryptocurrency. Rather than having the money set by the Federal Reserve or the U.S. Mint printing more money, cryptocurrencies operate with the users tracking all of the transactions and the users determining values. There are thousands of computers uh, that have full record of every wallet, every uh, cryptocurrency, amount of cryptocurrency that's in that wallet. Um, and every time a new transaction goes through the Bitcoin blockchain network. And so proponents of Bitcoin and blockchain in general assert that uh, this record is immutable, inalterable, uh, and trustless. Thousands upon thousands of people on the computer all working on the same blockchain of data, all keeping tabs on each transaction. Verifying who is transferring what for how much and who owns what. In a time when inflation is at its highest mark since 1981, and more and more people are getting comfortable with online banking and electronic transfers of funds, cryptocurrency is seeing a rise in popularity. I do think there's a lot of general mistrust not, not only from a political standpoint, but also from a sort of operational standpoint. Like my uh, generation, I'm a, a millennial, grew up during what they call the Great Recession, the financial crisis, and they saw, you know, uh, particularly a few weeks there where it looked like the entire finance and markets were, you know, were, were ending as we know it. And I, I think some see uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency specifically as a way to um, avoid uh, uh, excessive censorship from uh, governmental sources. El Salvador became the first country in the world to use Bitcoin as an official currency. And there are a few examples of people using Bitcoin to purchase real-world goods. But mostly, it's used as a speculative investment, Spogan says. There are, you know, some specific places online and maybe a few physical stores that accept Bitcoin. Uh, or other cryptocurrencies, but I see primarily right now Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies being used as uh, as speculative investment, uh, hoping to realize some of the spectacular gains it's had over the last several years. Svogan said most people are treating Bitcoin as an investment, attracted by its deflationary value as its price goes up over time. 
A Bitcoin that was purchased for just a few dollars 10 years ago is now valued at $47,000 for one Bitcoin. In 2022, a person can have a full-time job, direct deposit, have their rent and car payment on auto pay, and use a credit card to buy groceries and send $20 to a friend via Venmo, and never once touch actual physical money that in theory they own. But is there a drawback when money and goods are reduced to binary code? Are cryptocurrencies just driving us further away from seeing what Pope Francis calls the human economy? You know, money is morally neutral, right? It can be used for beautiful things, for helping poor, for building churches and for living our lives. And it can be used for all kinds of criminal things, right? The dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill can be used for anything good and anything bad. And I would say the same is true. Most digital technologies I find are morally neutral. Uh, and it's up to us to make sure that we steer them towards the positive uses and regulate them against the negative uses. The cryptocurrencies have the advantage, like Venezuela and Russia, particularly, as their currencies uh, collapsed, what did people do? They went out and they bought Bitcoin um, because they know that it's their, their country can't come after them for that, right? And as, as long as they can execute the transaction, now they hold a currency that's, you know, in, in floating around right? and, and can't be dominated by their own government. So it's a way to protect yourself from hyperinflation in, a, in an economy gone bad. So that's a good thing. Um, it, it eliminates a lot of the middleman of transactions, you know, that uh, I don't have to worry about currency exchange. I just, I trade Bitcoin and, you know, I'm free of all that. I mean, like any currency, uh, cryptocurrencies can be used for all kinds of illegal transfers, you know, drug money and prostitutes and slave trades and all those things. Um, they're, they're all possible, but they guess what? They were always possible with boatloads of cash. You know, I used to have to, you know, you, you fly a plane with a boatload of cash and you buy your drugs. I mean, that's, we've replaced that maybe, but so anyway, my point is the, the, the morality of technology is sort of left up to the user of it. Back to St. Paul saying a love of money is the root of all evil. Not that money is in itself evil, but the endless pursuit and the use of that money that degrades the human person is evil. When it comes to the church's view on cryptocurrency, the jury is still out, but there are a few principles we can draw on. I would bring it back to, you know, the, uh, the fundamentals of all different types of investment, where, you know, according to St. Paul, the love of money is the root of all evil. And Pope Francis has said and insisted many times that um, money is just has to serve and not to rule. Being a Catholic and a Christian, really, we have the free will that the Lord gave us and how we make our money and how we use our money and whether or not we're being good stewards of our money is what I believe to be truly important. So what a lot of pushback is, I think, with cryptocurrency is that there's there's a lot of people that are using it to evade taxes or to evade government control, or for um, illegal purchases or investments and things of that nature. Um, and just like any other type of investment, it can go very wrong very quickly if you're not using it in the way that God would want us to use it. The unregulated, untracked nature of cryptocurrency is a big appeal to investors whether as a hedge against inflation or as a way to donate to promote pro-democracy causes in totalitarian states. But it can also lead to less savory underground activities like human trafficking or funding drug cartels. 
So can Catholics use crypto in good conscience? All things can be used for good. And I think that all things can be used for evil. And I think it's up to the discernment of the person who's utilizing the particular tool. For instance, if you invest in cryptocurrency and you end up donating it to people in need or to the Catholic Church, you're doing something that's good, not only for the church and for the community, um, but for your soul. And you could also use cryptocurrency to fund things like human trafficking or do things that are illegal or underground. And it ultimately depends on the user. And this can be said for all things. We can use money itself now for good or evil. We can use bartering as we did in the past as good or evil. Everything can be used for good or evil, but it's up to the person who's using it or investing it as to how it's being earned, how it's being used. Since we can't track where it's truly being spent or invested, it's difficult to see where, you know, where particular things are being invested in the crypto world. It's a lot easier for us to see that when we look at top 10 holdings or dig into company history or company financial reporting. It's easy to see who they're donating to and what they're investing in as a company to see if it aligns with our faith. The one thing that I would caution here is that we can't do that with crypto. Svogan points to a case in 2013 when cryptocurrency was used to facilitate human trafficking. One example, relatively recently, the Vatican, one, someone in the Vatican mentioned uh, cryptocurrency being involved in, uh, as, a, as a method of payment in uh, human trafficking and, of course, condemned that, uh, that use of cryptocurrency. And so there... Are, have certainly been cases in the past. Uh, one primary example was from 2011 to 2013 or so. Um, cryptocurrency at that point, specifically Bitcoin, was being used in transactions primarily for hard drugs, but also other illegal goods and services on a dark web uh, marketplace called Silk Road. Um, and Without cryptocurrency, it would have been difficult to run something like Silk Road because the anonymity uh, of relative anonymity of cryptocurrency and uh, the also fact that it didn't use official payment networks meant it was more difficult for the relevant authorities to uh, shut it down. It was shut down eventually, and the uh, person who set it up actually was sentenced to a life sentence in prison for doing so. But to that end, Svogan cites examples where cryptocurrency and untraceable use of cryptocurrency can lead to potential good. Concretely, I think the best example is, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, um, in places with oppressive governments, cryptocurrency has allowed support to be sent to those people. And perhaps uh, perhaps in a place uh, like China, where there's a... Uh, a uh, a sort of hidden church, if you will. Um, cryptocurrency may be one way that Catholics around the world could help support support that group or other situations where Christians and Catholics are oppressed around the world. Um, there are specific conflicts, as I mentioned, where 
uh, people were protesting at present governments where the, the support has been sent in terms of cryptocurrency in the current Russia-Ukraine war. Um, a, a portion of the Ukrainian aid that has been sent from around the world was sent by individuals donating cryptocurrency. Giving to righteous causes is only the beginning of how cryptocurrency can help people around the world. He sees a way crypto can be used to help the poor when it comes to finance. If you, if you think about someone like uh, the Nobel Prize winner Mohammed Yunus and microloan and microfinance opening financial markets to poor people who had been um, pretty much locked out of banking loans, the traditional banking loan system, um, a system like that helped, helped bring a lot of people out of poverty. And I think it's possible uh, that what is called DeFi or decentralized finance, essentially a, a financing system built on cryptocurrency um, may allow access to poor people around the world and the unbanked and some of the more developed world um, to access financial markets and perhaps use that as a ladder out of, uh, out of poverty. On the other hand, Bitcoin mining, the process of solving millions upon millions of math equations in order to earn a Bitcoin, has led to the creation of massive warehouses full of computers running the algorithms. That requires a lot of juice, and the surge to the power grid and environmental concerns are a worry. That we are responsible for God's creation is applicable. Um, so Bitcoin... The Bitcoin system, the, bit, the blockchain that undergirds Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin transactions and so on, uh, uses about 0.5% of the world's electricity supply. So one two hundredth, it's roughly the same amount of electricity as the country of Finland, I believe, or seven times what Google uses in a year, if you consider how many you know servers and stuff they run. So um, it's certainly... Uh, inefficient from an energy standpoint. Now, one of the reasons that uh, that people have these basements full of servers, as you mentioned, is because um, Bitcoin, in a sense, is an electricity-backed currency. So what you do is you buy electricity, it goes into these computers. These computers are solving very complex mathematical equations that are very uh, computer-intensive, and the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain networks, rewards you a small uh, amount of Bitcoin for every mathematical function that the computer processes. Uh, so essentially, the Bitcoin um, network limits the supply of Bitcoin. And in fact, there is a hard limit of number of Bitcoins that, that can exist. Uh, and one way that's enforced is by reducing the number of Bitcoins that are produced from each mathematical function solved every few years so that uh, basically you need to buy and and have a huge number of computers uh, running for you know months at a time to get one Bitcoin, whereas uh, in 2010 or so, you could run and get one Bitcoin on a, on a desktop computer. So the, the way Bitcoin functions incentivizes this ever-increasing uh, electricity use. Other cryptocurrencies beyond Bitcoin are less computer work intensive, and further regulation and development in cryptocurrency will probably see a decline in people having warehouses of computers running algorithms to mine for Bitcoin. But the next step, one Deacon Napoli said more people will be invested in, is now on the scene. NFTs, or non-fungible tokens. That's got probably 
a better likelihood of being used by the average person than the cryptocurrencies themselves. Um, because that is, uh, you know, the, they call it the tokenization. That is the identification of, uh, of digital ownership of either a digital asset or a real asset and the exchange of those, right? Uh, so the popular ones you're seeing now are, uh, you know, uh, uh, and NFTs, non-fungible tokens, meaning that, uh, I mean, a dollar bill is a, is a fungible token. Fungible means I can use it anywhere. It can come from anywhere. I don't know where I got it from and nobody can track, trace me or anything like that. It's just a dollar is a dollar, whether it came from anybody or so on. Um, uh, a non-fungible token means that, you know, they're, they're unique. They can't be, uh, you know, one, one token is different than the next. So where is it used? Uh, you know, popularly right now, it's being used a lot in uh, digital you know, assets, meaning photographs, tickets, uh, paintings, uh, songs, you know, and music in general, uh, where uh, you can create an asset, upload it and make it digitally, whether it's a picture or a song or something like that. And then you can, you know, create a token that says whoever owns this token has the rights to the song. And now I can trade that token, uh, you know, in the marketplace. It's, it's gone crazy in some of the places. People paying money for digital assets seems a little strange. Deacon Napoli said a man paid $10 million for a video of LeBron James dunking a basketball, something that's wildly available on the Internet. Granted, people pay millions of dollars for a Horace Wagner baseball card or some other piece of property the average person may think is way overvalued. But Deacon Napoli said NFTs can be applied to real-world items, which in terms of preserving Catholic art or property might have some merit. So it could also be assigned to real assets, not just digital assets. So if I live in my house, I have possession of the house, I may have the keys to the house, but the proof that I own the house is not the keys, it's the deed to the house, right? I have to produce the deed with my name on it that says I am the legal owner of this house, right? Um, why can't that legal ownership be stored on a blockchain and, a, and an NFT created for that that says I may, own, I may be in the house, but this proves I own the house. So that's an, that's an NFT applied to real assets, cars, boats, houses, paintings, real painting. I could own the real Michelangelo David statue. Um, you know, it may be in the, it may be in the, the Florence, uh, you know, uh, museum, but I have the, I have the ownership rights to it. So, NFTs have a lot of good practical uses and it could be stored centrally. I could also offer what they call fractional ownership. So maybe I did own, well, maybe I, I'm looking at my house. I'm in my pool house here. I'm looking at my house and uh, I may decide to sell it rather than to one buyer. I could sell it to 50 buyers. I could fractionalize my ownership and sell off shares, if you will, to my house. On uh, doesn't have to be one NFT equals one asset. I could be you know, one asset can be broken into 50 or 1,000 NFTs that collectively represent the value of that asset. An individual Catholic will probably never have a chance to own Michelangelo's Last Supper or some sprawling cathedral. But selling a share of great art as a means to maintain and pay for the upkeep of these great works, that's possible. I'm too small an investor to invest in an in a, in a office building, but I see that's having potential growth. Um, I could invest in fractional ownership of that of that building uh, without having to go through some public market of you know owning shares on a stock exchange. I can just own a fractional ownership of that and increases my wealth. Uh, so, you know, it, it's 
like anything, it, it absolutely can it can it can steer us away from good things if we let it. And that's what to me that's the you know that's the value of our Catholic faith is that it gives us a framework for looking at everything and saying you know what I could do that but I choose not to because I see this as as something that could lead me away and lead me further from God right. Um, uh, but that's that's due to our you know. I don't know that I would want to legislate, you know, the 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 morality of a neutral technology. To me, it's up to the people to decide for themselves. This is not something I, 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 I choose to do. While the church may not have documents detailing the ins and outs of the ethics of crypto, it will be something Catholics will have to discern. As Welka and many believe, crypto isn't going away. I believe that cryptocurrency could have a future just because of the evolution of money, and I think more people will become accepting of it. I also think that there will um, be some sort of government regulation at some point, and that's not to say that um, they aren't already looking into it, but um, I know certain countries, um, I can mention China here, has already started to create their own type of cryptocurrency that they do have, um, you know, more governmental control with. So to say the term cryptocurrency in general, um, you know, it's, do I think that at some point it could be like that? I'm guessing it could be, you know, I'm just talking off the cuff here, but there, I I think over time, that could be a possibility. The next step for Catholic economists would be to look into how cryptocurrency can help people flourish, opening up new markets and opportunities, and perhaps building a financial structure centered around the principles of Catholic social teaching. I think it's going to be um, uh, surrounding whether cryptocurrency can be uh, has a meaningful place in an economy that uh, works towards human flourishing of the the human person in a Catholic social teaching sense. Uh, There was an effort a few years ago that I believe it was Rick Santorum's uh, son-in-law was involved in to create a Catholic um, sort of Catholic social teaching oriented cryptocurrency. And that effort uh, appears to be defunct at this point. Um, But I, I think there could be some thought in that direction. What would a Catholic, uh, a, a cryptocurrency that, that was sort of built on Catholic social teaching be about? I mean, would would some of that cryptocurrency be ties back to the church? Um, how do we, you know, uh, let's say, delineate what kind of investments we can be in and what kind of investments we wouldn't be in? How do we apply the Catholic social teaching to that concept? So are we days away from paying the parish tithe in Bitcoin? There are parishes that accept cryptocurrency as donations. Uh, There are some other Catholic groups. Um, There is, uh, at Catholic University of America, actually, we had a presentation and so on. And one of the reasons he came in is is that um, some of our our people had been mentioning that people wanted to donate money and cryptocurrency to Catholic, and we weren't exactly sure how to handle a situation like that. So I, I think... Yeah, like some people, when they die, they donate their house and some other their other possessions to the church, and it's not directly in the form of money. I I think some portion of uh, 
Catholic donations and, and other donations are likely to be in the form of cryptocurrency. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Ave Maria Mutual Fund. Visit them at AveMariaFunds.com to learn more about responsible Catholic investing.